Ted Jones messed with the wrong melon farmers. Ted Jones, I also call him the eighth wonder of the real estate world. Ted Jones, who knows, you know, it could be. Ted Jones? The Ted Jones World Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ted Jones World Podcast. Pat, it is episode 36. Pat, you look good in this picture, man, with this dog just laying on your lap. Uh, Pat is still producing, obviously. He didn't, uh, he didn't leave us hanging. Uh, he just wanted Quentin and I to just chop it up and, you know, get back to where we started, man. I've known you for 14 years, Quentin Vega. He's now currently on the practice squad with uh, Coco Goff, who's a 15-year-old phenom. We'll get into that tennis player. Uh, but, Quentin, dude, I've known you for 14 years. Haven't talked to you in a little bit. How are you, bro? Dude, I used to know you when people called you Teddy, first off. That's- Word, man. Word. That's true. That's true. That was, so that was pre-this, man. I, I appreciate that, that you, you know, you're going towards the Ted Jones thing. How are you, man? You look good getting that uh, quarantine facial hair situation. Yeah, dude, I got a little bit of scrub. And you being in Florida, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're yeah. doing all right down there. Is it, is it crazy down there or what? Is it pretty lax? pretty low-key. Like, I, I passed by two or three hospitals. And, you know, it looked pretty, pretty dead, to be honest. Uh, so, like not, not literally dead, bro. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, tra- no traffic or anything? Nothing going on inside? New York lingo slipped, slipped out of me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's pretty low-key, honestly. Like, so there's how- no or anything. Okay, word. Um, so, Quentin, I saw you at the U.S. Open, chilling in the Players' Lounge uh, right. this past U.S. Open. Dude, it, one, do you, one, do you think that there's going to be U.S. Open this year, U.S. Open 2020? Yes. Not in New York. Not in New York. So not in, like, the usual Flushing Meadows? What do you mean? Oh, that you awesome. think it'll be, like, in Vegas or something? They're talking about California, maybe, as the new – in the desert, Palm Springs. Okay. But, um, what, not like, the place, that they had in, the place that they had Indian Wells or no? And not yeah. this summer? Yeah, they, I think they're talking about doing it at Indian Wells uh, in the fall. So. Interesting. So, I mean, they haven't made any, like, full decisions yet, right? But, I mean, this is – this is uh, you guys are getting the inside scoop here. Quentin is, um, I guess, for the most part, it was, like, the number one practice partner for all the top guys for, the, for this past U.S. Open, and you've been hitting with a bunch of people. So, how did you get um, – linked up with Coco Goff, who's like 15 years old, by the way. Let me just introduce Coco Goff. If you have not heard of her, you need to Google her, dude. She is 15 years old, turn, just turned 16, right? Just turned 16, yes. Okay, cool. So she's going to be number one in the world very shortly, I'd say, within like the next couple of years. Quentin can obviously give us more color on it, but uh, Quentin, go ahead, bro. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, well, I met her at the U.S. Open. She was shooting a New Balance commercial post-tournament. Um, and she was looking to practice and, uh, USTA had contacted me knowing that I live in, in the city, um, and asked if I wanted to do it. I said, yes. Um, and then we had a practice session that day. And then I happened to exchange numbers with Corey, her, her dad. Okay. And happened to co- go back down to Florida in November. I forgot what I, I think I was doing like a training camp or something. And then I played with her again in November just for a couple of days. And then I went to Dominican Republic to play some professional tournaments myself. Uh-huh. And then they invited me back for a preseason with uh, Patrick Muratulu. 
and like okay. that that's that's Serena Williams's coach by the way for yeah. people yeah. people don't know that that's dope he has a, a tennis academy where just to mean to uh, in the French Riviera but he okay. temporarily opened up one in South Florida in the Boca Resort Boca Country Club or something okay okay, um, okay cool. that's where, like, Florida. You know, a bunch of players were doing their preseason there Serena was there Coco a bunch of uh good guys were there as well so and then from there we just kind of started building and then uh now I'm here. I've been here for the last seven weeks now, since quarantine, actually. Since it just nice, So yeah. have you just been um, in an apartment down there, just like going to practice and coming back? Is that like the only moves you're making or what, what kind of moves are you doing? Yeah, honestly, practice six days a week, a couple times a day. Um, I have my clients kind of outside of uh, Coco those hours. Okay. Right. So like ever since the quarantine, not much has changed, just living in Florida. Like, literally, I was supposed to fly back to New York on JetBlue, and JetBlue canceled all the flights when that one guy went on to the flight with Corona. Oh, yeah, and he was just telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I got coronavirus. Like, all right, dude, sorry, whoa, but I just got a call and said potential spam lighting up my phone. Wasn't going to answer it anyway. (laughs) Talking with my boy QV here. Dude, so anyway, saw you at the U.S. Open. I was in the players lounge is very fresh in there everyone playing a little ps2 you know loosen up foosball whatever uh but i was actually i was with christy on for all of you who remember christy and quinton actually were hitting together at uh this past u.s open uh quinton's warming up all the top players so hitting with djokovic was that like a full highlight for you what was like who hits the cleanest ball or heaviest ball like tough to you know hit down the middle with. I would say uh, Dimitrov, actually. Really? Greg, Grigor Dimitrov just unloads on every single ball on practice. On practice. Matches, uh-huh. he didn't quite play at that velocity. But, in, I mean, in practice, it just like it was just ridiculous how heavy and hard his ball was and how much he was kicking. In terms of, like, practicing with Joko, he's just, like, he's so smooth when he hits. Like, it doesn't look like he's hitting hard, and then the ball's landing on top of the baseline every time. Right, right. But you, if you're talking about like how hard and clean somebody can hit, Dimitrov is definitely up there. I was, at, I mean, I, I got to play with Fed as well. I think that was a little bit more of a highlight for me. Dude, wait, I, I, I knew you were going to play with Fed. I think what, or maybe I knew you. I knew you were about to hit it with Djokovic, but I didn't. I don't. I don't fully know any story about Fed. So tell us. Go ahead. Yeah. So I warmed him up on Arthur Ashe before his match against the British guy. Oof. Uh, Kyle Edmund, no. Or or is it Dan Evans? One of those two guys. No. Yeah, one of those two guys. Um, and I hit with him for about an hour, and that was pretty. His slice is one of the filthiest shots Ooh. I've seen in can't believe he's biting the baseline dude right on the baseline like an inch off the ground it's like as soon as we were hitting like he was hitting flat and we did that for like 15 minutes he didn't slice as soon as he hit the slice i like launched the ball like 10 feet so i was like it was just like so hard to handle that kind of ball i've never I feel I, like, i've never seen that before so dude and i also feel like at um at the open and like wimbledon he uses that slice a lot like maybe not so much on the clay and like the stuff in australia but what do you think and it's amazing to see like joko when he plays fed and fed slicing and joko's just taking his backhand and just like, <laughs> oh my god yeah That's those dudes like, never hard. miss man like the, the those rallies they have and especially on tennis channel now like they used to have like not really that competitive matches sometimes that like 
random hours, but like now you can just turn it on at three and they'll just have like the Wimbledon wow. final from 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's so, very um, cool. That gave me like a lot more insight because on, when you watch it on TV, it's like, oh, it doesn't look, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because they're keeping, they're like keeping up with each other. But then once you sit um, like behind the umpire's chair, that's yeah. when you really see that ball like whipping back and forth. I'd say that's like the best angle to kind of gauge um, how hard you guys are hitting. Yeah, that's in, in the court level. Cam, when the camera's like right behind the player, you know how they show it sometimes on tennis channel? Yeah. Like that's a really good angle because you get to see the, the changes in height, their footwork, and, and like how hard they're really hitting that ball. Yeah, man. Cool. So uh, Quentin and I, I've known Quentin for 14 years. So I think, bro, I think you were one of the, you were one of like the handful of reasons uh, that I wanted to take tennis seriously and like start playing more. So I went to this, I, dude, okay, so listen to the story. You don't know the story. So I went to the sectional in Rochester. This is when you were playing with um, RMTA. Yeah. And we went to the sectional in Rochester, and um, you were 12, and you were playing up in the 14s uh-huh. during this tournament. So I went for the 14s qualifying, and right. you, were, you were, like, qualifying that same weekend. So you were playing in the 14s qualifying too? Or maybe did you make the main draw? What is that? I, I don't know. Anyway, it was like a sectional in Rochester a long time before that. What? We went together, didn't we? In the van? Was that that same year? No, bro. I went there and then you beat me 8-0 in a pro set. And then, <laughs> and then, dude, and then I was like, yo, this kid is good. Like, how does this kid get so good? And then your boy, you know, a tennis coach of all, you know, the most famous tennis coach in New York notoriously not great tennis coach i'm not gonna mention his name but yeah. he was there bro and you smacked me eight oh and he's like look this kid quentin he's playing he's playing every day he's playing seven days a week like three hours i'm just sure being a little bit dramatic obviously you were playing a lot you were young yeah. and you were sick you're like dude at the time you're like top five in the country in yeah. 12s and then like 14s you were just starting to get in the mix but you were one of the reasons i definitely switched from like you know, playing just during the summer to like getting in there three, four days a week and then starting to push it a little bit more and then eventually playing college tennis at UConn. Yeah, that's but, tennis court days, buddy. Yeah, dude. But um, so Quentin and I also played once when we were probably, I was probably a junior, maybe you were a sophomore. Yeah. I don't know, some, some sectional situation. And Quentin was up, dude, um, Quentin was up 6'5". I was about to serve at 5'6". And this was in the second set. He won the first, like, 6-2 or, I don't, yeah, something like that. Um, I was about to serve down at 5-6. And on the changeover, Quinton, this is like a Friday night match. Quinton is texting during his match. I'm like, oh, who's man. this guy texting? And then, bro, you beat me right there. You, you threw me out, dude. I was in uh, that was it. some episodes in juniors where, you Hilarious, know. Hilarious, bro. Hilarious. I would do some uh, questionable things on the court for sure. So, dude, what uh, what really like fully got you into tennis? I know your bros like, um, you know, were there a lot during practices and stuff. But like, what made you fully get into it and like to the point where now you're just fully living tennis? Yeah, dude. Um, so my oldest brother used to teach at an after school program, and one of the after after school activities happened to be tennis for that summer, um, and it was back in Brook- Bushwick, Brooklyn. If anybody's familiar with Grand Street campus, native New Yorkers or Brooklyn Knights will know where it is. 
Yeah, um, well, bro, I, I quickly, I know where Bushwick is, you know, Cedar Street, uh, um, where else in Bushwick? I'm at the Hard Street, Jefferson, all up in Bushwick. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Bushwick a little bit for my day job, other than this, Ted Jones, but sorry, bro, go ahead. Yeah, and then, um, so only the summers I would play, this is starting when I was about four years old, so for the first two summers, I just played, and it was just for fun. I was too young to get on the court, because it was a high school program. So it would just be like my older brothers and the high school kids. So like I would just kind of just like be bored and like hit against the wall. And then when I was six, one of the coaches happened to bring me on the court. It was my first time on the tennis court, like actually hitting with somebody. And everybody's like sitting down watching. And then they're like, come on, come hit with me. And then from there, I made like 100 balls in a row without missing, like from the baseline. Oh. And then everybody was like, my brothers was like, oh, shit, he's actually – pretty decent for not yeah. like ever playing yeah. or like being told what to do and then from there I kind of started taking a little bit more seriously I was into like other sports um, but like I knew that I would have more of a chance to make it in tennis than in basketball or or in boxing and stuff like that so I was like you know I feel like this is a, a better choice for me uh, even at that age like I knew like this would take me somewhere where like nice man no. And Quinton played at the University of Wisconsin. You were a Badger. Did you play all four years there? Uh, three. And then I left after to play pro. Okay. Dope, man. And how's that going? Like, um, I mean, what would you say is, like, the best part right now about, about touring and then also, you know, working? What, what is it on the side now, would you say, with Coco or what? Um, well, right now I'm not – I only compete for Davis Cup for Puerto Rico. Right. That's all that. competitive uh, – matches that I play a year um I've been I haven't been playing as consistently in the last like three years I would say I've just been more focused on working and, and kind of just working on the other side of tennis uh which is like I enjoy I don't know if I enjoy more but it's definitely up there with competing right um sorry what was the other half of the question no dude I mean I was just I, I was just wondering like what it I mean what it's like to see parts of the world that you otherwise oh, would yeah. not have seen Dude, I mean, that was one of the most valuable experiences of my life. Like from when I was, when I left school, I didn't have much money. I didn't have, I mean, I got a little bit of a sponsor deal to leave school, which is why I initially left. Mm -hmm. I got some money, but like, I didn't know it was going to stop coming. Right. <laughs> continue to get paid. But yeah. Um, after that money, you know, ran out, which was within the first six months, I had to really figure out my way of managing my tennis all aspects, nutrition, working out, scheduling, itineraries, all that. Expensive, bro. It's, I mean, it sounds expensive also the way you're describing it. And also, I, yeah, I, I, it is expensive. You know, there's right. just so many, so many different factors, booking hotels, flights for, you know, your travel partner, nutrition. Yeah, you, you Dude, said it, bro. Yeah, I didn't really have anybody helping me with any of those uh, parts. And then, uh, so I had to figure out a way to, you know, budget my money, budget my time. And, you know, figure out how, what's the most economical way I can travel the world and play as much as I can. So, you know, people um, would, would think about tennis and be like, oh, these guys are making so much money. Come on, look at Fed. He's making, you know, over $80 million last year. Like, these guys are fine. You know, the tennis players are the richest. What would you say um, that you, the cutoff needs to be or for someone to be you know, living, playing tennis, and just strictly playing tennis with a traveling coach. I mean, what do you need to be ranked in the world to be able to do that, like prize money-wise and ranking-wise? 
and profiting? Yeah, okay. sure. And making, I'd say, and profiting like, you know, 75000 or or whatever it is. I would say top 150, top 200. So as long as you're playing those uh, grand slams. Yeah. Even when you're getting into qualities of those slams, you're in a good spot. And then there is just like you have to figure out what you're missing to that's separating you from that top 100 spot. Uh, but you're very close and you're making some good coin there. I mean, some guys, you know, I feel like they're a little bit, they're spending, they're staying at really nice hotels and trying to, you know, and they're spending a lot of money. Keep up with the Joneses, as they say. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're living the bougie life and they haven't quite made it yet. Right, right, right. Um, I think I could push for like 200 and you'll make some good money. And, and if you're working on your side business as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you have to, you have to keep hustling on the side. You can't just right. focus on tennis, even at that position at the top two fifty, three hundred position. Let alone seven hundred, which is where I was. Which, look at the numbers: is four thousand people playing competitively pro. It's not bad if mm-hmm. you take a soccer player that's seven hundred, the seventh hundredth best soccer player. You're still making a lot of money. You're still right. Yeah, it's so different, man. Just like the team sports and individual, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. It is. It's tough, but yeah, I think you know, sub two hundred, one fifty. Well, dude, you got to keep plugging away. We all we all got faith in you here, dude. Us Ted Jones, Ted Jonesers, everyone watching and listening. So, dude, playing all this tennis, who do you think uh, your biggest win in like a practice set? Is and then a person in a match, those two. What do you think? Um, well, it depends how far we go back. We go back to the juniors, I have like some significant wins. Let's do it, dude. Let's go back to dude. I have, I have, um, like in terms of practice sets, I've like I've beaten Fetter, you know, nine times removed. Like this guy with the practice set, this guy, this guy, this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the indirect wins, (laughs) yeah, yeah. The indirect wins are fresh, but go ahead, yeah, back in even Uh, juniors. In juniors, uh, Bjorn Frantangelo lived in Pittsburgh, so we'd always meet up in, like, those nationals that were kind of in the area. And, like, right. I remember, I remember that. I remember that. And he was, like, he was he, – he, um, what's his career high ranking right now? Like, 70 or something? Higher? He's been injured, but he was around, like, 60 in the world. 70. Uh, he's been injured on and off the last few years, so that sucks for him. Hope he uh-huh. uh, Yeah. He's, he's a very solid player. Um, and I've taken sets off. Um, this Colombian guy, Daniel Elzai um, Alani or something. He just he was in the 250 Houston tournament. He lost in the finals this year. And this was actually one of the last tournaments that I played. I played him in a challenger, and I lost in three sets, and I took a set off him in a legitimate tournament. So that was pretty cool. He's around like he's hovering around like 90. Damn, dude. And then in, in my Davis Cup match, I played Mikhail Torpegard. I don't know if you know him. He played one for Ohio State. He's like 150 in the world place for Denmark uh and I lost first at seven six and I was serving for it so I was like oh that's pretty good man yeah bro full time you know I'm mostly on the coaching side I still have a fitness program that I do to stay in shape stay sharp you know maybe uh Coco's agent will find me a wild card into like Indian Wild somehow dude that'd be dope we'll push for it dude let us know where to where to where to send our votes in we'll do it yeah seriously or the Um, New York uh, the tournament in New York has been my like biggest goal to play. Oh, dude, I think that's possible. So they have um, uh, the 
ATP Open. Well, what is it? It's in Nassau County. It's an ATP 250. What's it yeah. called? Uh, New York Open. Yeah. New York Open, not the ATP Open. The ATP is the uh, Association of Tennis Professionals. Quinton, man, uh, this is great catching up with you, dude. So, what are you like? What are you doing down there in Florida when you're not playing tennis? Dude, usually, I'm- usually, when you're not playing tennis before quarantine, dude, and we weren't chopping it up on Zoom, you'd be on on the couch in the studio. Am I in New York or am I in Florida? That's the. I don't know, man. You tell me, bro. You be wherever you want to be. Post quarantine, ideally, I, I'm a New York City native. Mommy, I'll be in the city, and if I got nothing to do the next day, like I got a day off, like I'm meeting up with the boys, and we're gonna have ourselves a good night. We're gonna go out, enjoy nice. ourselves. Yeah, bro, I've I've seen Quentin at a few parties. Obviously, behaving, just like you know, seeing him around. What's up, bro? <laughs> good to see you. Literally, dude. How we we ran into each other one time, and it was it was in my dad's <laughs> building, bro. I was like, dude, what are you doing here? He's like, bro, what are you doing here? It's insane. We've that's happened a few times. And then New Year's, when was that like 2017 or 2018? Kind of recently. Uh, yeah, at uh Emo's house. Oh yeah. That was the last time I saw you actually. Yeah, yeah. Before the before the US Open. That was the that was the last time I saw you. That was hilarious. Hilarious, bro. That's the city, that's how the city works, man. It always if you're in the loop and you're going out and yeah, you know, bro. You know, if you're cool, if you're cool, you know one of us three. Pat over there, my man, still That's cool, true. still a cool guy with the with the dog picture. You guys got to check this out if you're not watching this on YouTube. But if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yo, throw us a like, comment, or something like that. I don't know which one applies to you know which streaming service, but we got my buddy Quentin Vega here and. um Dude, so I also what was the what was your highest ranking that you achieved like as a junior and what age group? So I was uh number one in every age division in the east in New York. Yeah. And then um I I think I finished my recruiting class top twenty in the nation. But uh, I was as high as seven for my class. Was that the twenty eleven class? So it was like Jack Sock, Bjorn, Marcus Giron. It's a stack class, so yeah, these are all these, these guys played. all play pro and like a Dennis Kudla or something. Yeah, yeah. Kudla. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. So, do you still keep in touch with any of these guys that like you're hitting with and, and stuff, or, or what? Uh, more, more as like acquaintances. Like when I see them, we'll chop it up. Like every time right. I see Jack Sock, like we always have like a good conversation. Ask about his family and stuff. His mom used to like look out for me a ridiculous amount when I was a young kid. So like I. I have a lot of respect for very nice. Very dope, man. Um, so I know that like the WTA and ATV tours don't really have a starting date in terms of when they think they're going to get back, but do you have any idea on when you'd be ready to start traveling and playing tennis or even Coco, for example, like when are things going to be back to somewhat normal, even without fans? Um, I'm thinking July is a good date. July. Like July. I mean, after after um, well, I, I saw there were some tournaments that have been canceled uh, that were maybe like the latter part of July. But do you think people or countries will start opening tennis tournaments again? I know everything is canceled till July thirteenth. I believe all tournaments are canceled till July. I feel like after that they'll be able to host some events. Where 
and how they're going to figure out all the logistics of, you know, you have players coming from all over the country. They have to get tested. Their team has to get tested. So I think it's a matter of finding um, a test kit that's, like, affordable, it's quick, and that'll make players feel more comfortable to, to travel and play. You know, of yeah, course, I don't think there's going to be any spectators, but I'm thinking by July we'll have a competitive tournament going on. So, dude, I want to go to the I want to go to the U.S. Open, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast would love to go to the U.S. Open. So, what, I mean, what's the deal with that, dude? I know you have the for real inside scoop on New York tennis, anything New York tennis, and the United States Tennis Association, USDA. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like it's not going to happen just with the state of New York, and I'm, I haven't been in New York, so I actually I don't really know how it is besides talking to my friends and family and stuff. Um, but they were using the USTA as a like a alternative hospital to for corona patients and whatnot. So I don't know how the landscape is looking over there. Um, so I, I really think they're going to move it to to California, and I think it's going to be in the fall. Yeah, man. Well, you guys heard it here first. I I really hope you're wrong, dude. But um, we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, end end of August is when uh, the U.S. Open usually starts around twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Yeah, and they don't start like reconstructing the grounds for the U.S. Open until like late July. So there's still there's still still hope. But but also, I mean, all I mean, all the players have to make their flights pretty soon, right? And like figure out how they're gonna get there, get the hotels, and the hotels. Yeah, I don't know. It's a sticky situation, man, in New York, isn't it? Like, how's it been? Yeah, yeah man. Um, I'm actually at my pops' house, at my daddy's house. We had an episode called that, Mommy's and Daddy's Houses, you know, because everyone is just becoming um, a kid again, I'd say, if you don't have your own place. Um, just, like, going to the countryside and uh, trying to get more space. So I'm in my dad's basement here. Pat's at his crib, his parents' crib. And um, just trying to... Stay away from like the city, man. I've I've been out here for seven weeks as well. Oh Lord, Long Island. Yeah, yeah. I'm in I'm in Long Island out here. It's nice to be able to like go inside and outside because in my in my apartment in the city, I really don't have that luxury, man. Especially in like apartment buildings in oh, general. Like I I don't have a doorman in my apartment building, but I know people who are living in uh, apartments in doorman buildings that are like asking them every time they leave the apartment, like, where are you going? Like, do you need to go there? Like, are you actually going grocery shopping? Yada, yada. So dude, you're paying if, whatever it is, 4,500, 5,000 a month to live in a studio or one bedroom at a doorman building in Manhattan. And you can't even leave your apartment or use the gym that you pay for or whatever. Yeah, or anything that's supposed to even help you fight off the disease in any <laughs> yeah i know it's it, i mean it's it's crazy the whole thing so bro um anything going on specific you want to talk about here on the ted jones world while um we got you back um we got you back um what, what am i talking about we got you back we got you um we got you back here behind the scenes i don't even know <laughs> yeah dude so uh me and some friends are working on um and um art and cultures collective we're gonna come out with some events in new york city Hopefully, it was scheduled to come in June, but now, obviously, amidst everything happening, we're aiming for, like, an August kind of day where there's musical performances, um, artists that we're going to showcase, uh, and it's going to be a neat little event that everybody should look 
uh, take a look out for. I mean, you're coming for sure. Make sure. Dude, dope, man. Do you, I mean, end up knowing people like <laughs> half the people there. That yeah, come. yeah. I, I hopefully sure. will know half the people that are there, man. Um, Quentin, dude, we need to chill soon, man. Please let me know when you come back up from New York. I want to hit, bro. Seriously, you know, like when two people can hit down the middle. You know, like once we start baseline yeah. games, you probably start taking me. But like once we start bashing down the middle, man, it'll be fun. Get yeah, a nice little groove going. Nothing better than a good stroke. Yeah, bro. I hear you, dude. All right, bro. Keep bashing. Quentin Vega, episode 36. My man. Look this look this man up. He's a legend. Quentin Vega. All right, dude. I will talk to you soon. Ted Jones Worlders, we're out. See you next week. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you, bro. See you.